Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is episode 133, and we're reviewing Vinland Saga Season 2, Part 1. As always, there'll be spoilers throughout this episode. So the winter 2023 season is winding down. But Vinland Saga is just starting to wind up because it's going to linger into spring 2023. Let's fucking go. It's been a great ride so far. I think Vinland Saga has been helping keep the winter season afloat. I think it's like the only major anime. I guess besides My Hero, which will be, or which is wrapping up in in winter, uh, but of, of the newer seasons coming out in winter, Vinland Saga soars above the rest. I totally agree, but it's weird because we were just recording our pre-show and we were talking about anime figures and like feeling overwhelmed about all the options out there. And then we stopped and thought to ourselves, have we ever seen a Vinland Saga figure before? Like an officially licensed, officially promoted Vinland Saga figure. And I don't think I've ever seen any. Yeah, I was thinking maybe they have statues or little trinkets of the actual Thorfinn that existed in real history. Uh, But yeah, nothing in particular related to Vinland Saga itself. I mean, I did a quick Google search. Uh, If you're you're trying to look for like t-shirts or merchandise along those lines, I only see offerings from Etsy or Redbubble, so nothing official. Um, In terms of figures, I think Good Smile had mentioned in a tweet from 2019 that a Figma figure for Torfin was supposed to come out soon. But that was soon. (laughs) Yeah, four years ago. Oh my God. A bit overdue, and maybe they just scrapped it. Uh, Maybe it's just because, like, Vinland Saga. I know it's it's been getting all the hype here in the States, but probably domestically in Japan, there's not much hype surrounding it and so not much of an opportunity uh, to to make money off the merch or off the franchise. Yeah, Villain Saga season one was um, like vastly not underestimated. what's what's the word I'm underrated? Like? Underrated, thank you. <laughs> vastly underrated, even here overseas i think it was like a sleeper hit for a long time and then finally gained a lot of traction when some bigger anime people like giga started talking about it and getting the buzz about it we were late late bloomers i guess when it came to villain saga we watched it way after um, the first season had ended but despite that you've got mappa taking it on and doing an insane job for season two so i'm hopeful that with the hype of season two that maybe we'll get some Villain Saga merch. I mean, I don't know if I would. Per- I personally would buy anything because I tend to curate my collection with characters that really have a special connection with me or have special meaning. So as much as I love the characters of Villain Saga, I don't know if I would go out and buy something, but I would like to see some Villain Saga merch or at least some figures. I think for season two, there aren't many figures you could produce from what happens in this season. You'll have Thorfinn. Um, like battle version from season one yeah. and then Thorfinn farming version yeah, from exactly. season two. <laughs> Maybe you could throw Anar in the mix. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like even an Askeladd figure or, or Thor's 
from season one. Maybe like pop up parade will do a line on Vinland Saga. I could see it. They're doing a shitload of stuff. They they came out of the woodwork and now they're putting out everything you could ever think of. So let's let's hope that Vinland Saga gets the merchandise recognition that it deserves. And by the way, if anyone's interested in hearing our pre-shows, we have those available for our patrons over at our Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash strictly series. So be sure to check that out. And since we're talking about winter 2023 kind of winding down, obviously Vinland Saga is like taken this season by storm. But is there another unexpected hit from the season that you've really been enjoying? For me, it's been Buddy Daddies. Really? Yeah. Is that the one with that's the one with the girl and the annoying voice that, that I always hear? You watch yeah, it, right? Yeah, <laughs> Miri Chan, which she's become an endearing character. Yeah, despite her voice. Um, Buddy Daddies, I think was yeah, it was another original. It's another original anime that was done by PA Works. Um, they are kind of hot off the heels of Akiba Made War from fall 2022. Um, a lot of people thought that Buddy Daddies was like a, a variation of Spy Family, which it kind of is because it's focused on two male characters that are work at they work as assassins, and then one of their jobs they inadvertently end up with this child that they end up taking care of, and I think it, it's it's a very endearing story, very very wholesome story. But also, what I like about it is that it's not just wholesome it still injects a little bit of tension, especially with the, the main characters as assassins, kind of going into their backstories and what life means to them now that they have this child to take care of. Uh, have you started Buddy Daddies at all? No, I've only seen, I think, one or two episodes that you were watching and I sat down to watch with you. It seems really good. Animation looks really, really nice. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering, does it have an overarching story Story because one of the things that I I was wanting from a similar premised show like Yakuza's Guide to Babysitting was like some sort of backstory or overarching plot that we were working toward and we never really got that from that particular anime even though it was really it was a good watch in, in general would you say that there is something like that in Buddy Daddies? Yeah, I was, I was going to use Yakuza's Guide as an example or to, as like a sort of contrast to this show because. I think there is, I, I've, I'm not caught up on the series yet. I think I have like three or four episodes left until the finale. Um, but the the way that they've building the story, I think it is leading up to something, especially with Miri coming into play. Obviously, there is a there is a sort of issue that comes up when it comes to being an assassin and trying to have this this family life, um, and that's what the main characters. Uh, Kazuki and Rei have to deal with but I I won't go into much further than that but that sort of conflict I think is going to create an actual conflict by the end of this series and I think it's only 12 episodes because it's in a yeah it's an original anime Uh, so I think that's what I appreciate more about this whereas with Yakuza's Guide to Babysitting similar premise but I think that was just so much more focused on like its wholesome nature rather than having this very tense, dramatic storyline. Okay, interesting. Then I feel like it would be maybe more appealing to me than Yakuza's Guide to Babysitting because you know me. I, I can I can enjoy a like slice of life that doesn't really have a story behind it, but I like to have a goal that we're working toward in any show that I watch. That's what That's what keeps me engaged most of the time. 
So mm-hmm. I'm interested. Plus, it seems like one of the main characters from Buddy Daddies is a Sundere. Or maybe like a Kurere Sundere type um, of mix. I would say Ray, who has like the black-haired assassin, is more of a Kurere. He, he's kind of like a, a Hikikomori. And then oh, okay. the, the, the other assassin, Kazuki... He's more of the the goofier type. I don't know. I don't think no. He's not. He's not really a sundere, uh, but more of the aloof type, similar to like Joseph Joestar, basically. And the the dynamic between the three characters, including the child Miri, is just fantastic. Uh, they all mesh well together, and they have these great, again, the great wholesome moments that are also balanced out with a little bit of tension as they continue to build the plot. Okay. Okay. I'll think about it. I'll I'll see if I want to add it. I know I'm like I'm very hesitant to add anything because I looked at the spring 2023 list that I've got and holy shit, I I may have overloaded myself. <laughs> but I'll probably put Buddy Daddies at least on my watch list for the future. I would say it's probably my second favorite thing to watch for winter besides Vinland Saga. Um, I'm not gonna really talk about Trigun Stampede, but also the OP for Buddy Daddies is is quite the banger. One of my favorites so far this year. Is there anything that you've been watching in winter 2023 that has helped you keep this season afloat? Uh, Tomo-chan is a girl, or Tomo mm. is a girl, whatever they translate it to or localize it to. I love it. I think it's so good. I, do, I think what's making me love it more than some of the other romance anime from this season is that all the characters have personality and then on top of that it's a rom-com but it's a rom-com that focuses decently on the romance part of it and focuses on the two main characters who are part of that romance because oftentimes with romance anime you you have the romance, but there's like all this other crap that they like make you go through. Mm. And for only, what is this, 12, 13 episodes. I don't care about that other crap. I want to spend that short amount of time focusing on the romance, focusing on the main characters. And you get that from the show. Sure, there's side ships. Um, sure, there's like friendships that, you know, get tested in certain episodes. But it's like, you know, contained to half an episode and they move back into the main romance. And I just adore that so much. I'm like, thank you. Thank you for not wasting my time. And thank you for moving things along at a really good pace. Plus, I find the concept really interesting. You've got Tomo, who is a tomboy of sorts, and she's got her childhood friend, June, that she's in love with, but she can't tell if he even realizes that she's a girl. Um, obviously, that's a little bit extreme. Like He does know that, he, that she's a girl, but treats her like one of her guy, one of his guy friends, like they're best friends. Um, you know, they compete with each other. They, um, they, they punch each other. Like they, That's just the type of relationship that they have. So it's funny watching Toma kind of struggle between being her normal tomboyish self versus like being more girly to try and win his affections. Mm. But the nice thing is, again, like you get good progression. I don't want to spoil anything, but you get really good progression of the romance in the story. So you're not just sitting there dealing with the slow burn. So for anyone who likes that kind of stuff, when it comes to romance, you'll probably like Tomo-chan as a girl. I'm surprised that anime hasn't capitalized on this concept even more because I, I can't think of any other show where you have like this tomboyish character that falls in love with um another character that that doesn't realize that they have feelings for them yeah i love it i think it's a a, a unique concept I'm, I'm sure it's been done somewhere else in anime but not to my knowledge um so it's it's a nice change of pace because you're right oftentimes like 
female characters are very, very like cutesy and like, you know, almost like in that cute girls doing cute things type territory. Here, Tomo is, she stands toe to toe with June. And I, I like that a lot about her. You think it's only going to be a one season thing? Because I'm seeing that the manga lasted for maybe four years tops. Yes. So I didn't want to spoil myself, but I was curious about that. I did see some posts that say that this is probably going to be a single season anime because where they're at right now, it's likely that they're going to be able to wrap it up in the 13 episodes. So that's great too. I get to hopefully actually see the this anime, you know, round itself out and actually have a proper ending. Yeah, I'm curious to, to watch this one. Uh, I think I, I unfortunately chose the uh, angel next door spoils me rotten over tomochan <laughs> uh, but i kind of wish i went with tomochan instead particularly because i've been hearing buzz about sally amaki one of the voice actors i think she does carol in both the japanese and the english dub um, so that kind of piqued my interest in this show wasn't she also one of the hosts of the crunchyroll awards yes probably because she has that bilingual uh, bilingual skill well, now let's jump into the best thing in winter 2023. Vinland Saga season two. Farmland a doubt. Saga season one. Hell yeah. <laughs> so quick caveat about this episode. We're calling it part one of season two, but we're actually going to be discussing episodes one through 11 instead of one through 12 because we're recording this a bit ahead of time. Um, as, as many of you guys know, we are approaching our due date for when our baby is is arriving and we didn't want to cut it too close um, by waiting for episode 12 and then missing the opportunity to review the first half of the season. So again, you're going to get episodes one through 11 in this episode of Strictly Anime. And then in our part two review of Vinland Saga season two, you'll get 12 through 24. 24. Thank you. I didn't know how many episodes it was. Although episode 11, I would say that still ends on a pretty good cliffhanger so it's not like we're ending things abruptly um especially because i think that almost leads into what could be the potentially the next arc for season two which revolves around canute yeah i'm oh my god i'm so hype about the way season or season episode 11 ended i can't wait to talk about it if anyone is curious and wants to hear our thoughts on season one of vinland saga you'll have to head back Kind of far, this is going to be a little cringe, I'm sure, but kind of far back to episode 23 of Strictly Anime for the part one review and episode 25 for the part two review of that first season. Just just brace yourselves. That was that was very early days for us. It wasn't too bad. I listened back <laughs> to uh, season one, part one. Uh, maybe <laughs> we were a little bit more monotonous with the way we talk, but... It wasn't terrible. <laughs> I'm scared. One, one we, of these we were days talking I'll be... like Torfin in season one, basically. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> one of these days I'll be brave enough to venture back into our catalog, but I get so scared of how cringy I'm sure we sound. But hey, we've, we've come a long way. So I was going into Vinland Saga season two with one thing in mind. I'm like, what is all the fuss about with these manga readers talking about Farmland Saga? I, I didn't think they were serious. I thought they were fucking joking. Like it was some meme about Vinland Saga and there was going to be some shit going down with farming that was going to suck or something like that. Um, but I was very wrong. Manga readers were totally right because farming is literally the most hype thing in anime right now. Like what the hell is happening? <laughs> I know. It's weird because like Vinland Saga, they started the show off with all of this bloodshed 
and then that kind of led into Thorfinn's quest for vengeance and then season one ended where he's kind of in a different headspace and so I wasn't expecting there to be like a lot more brutality but yeah the just the introduction in season two to Einar and then seeing where Thorfinn is now like it, it feels like th- they were dialing back on the violence but it's so it's a very drastic but I think it's a it's a very welcome change in pace you're you're definitely right this has been a divisive season I think it's because to your point it's almost a 180 from season one both in like focus and how the characters behave so if we think about season one it was violent it was brutal and was focused all on Thorfinn's revenge whereas season two is coming in calm and collected and I think more so focused on character development even Thorfinn himself is a 180 from his season one self because he was insane and didn't stop screaming all the time in season one. And here you can barely get him to say a word. And I feel like there there are plenty of character development arcs out there in anime. And sometimes they, they truthfully can be a bit boring but necessary. Holy shit, though, that's not the case here. I'm loving this masterful approach to character development and how the creator manages to make farming hype as fuck like on a more serious note it's not the farming that's exciting it's what's going on on the farm or around the farm or you know as Thorfinn is focusing on on farming there's like all this other stuff that he's tackling on the back end but this just goes to show how great writing can make anything spectacular including two dudes working on a farm that's that's the premise of this. <laughs> yeah. It's two dudes working on a farm, but for some reason, it is the one show this season I cannot wait to watch every single week. I know it, it's so odd, and maybe it's just because it is a significant change in character from how Torfin act in in season one. Because I'm trying to imagine, you know, if there was any other character where we'd have to watch them farm, I'm sure that would be a, a drag of a show. But in Torfin's case, it's so different um, in what we've seen from him previously. And I think that's what makes us interested in, in why this sudden shift. And I think it, it just, that sort of balances out with his violent moments in season one, having these quiet reflections with him in season two, because we know now that he's, he's sort of focusing on this journey of redemption even though he feels like he's a shell of himself because he has to reconcile with the atrocities he's committed in his past life while finding meaning in his new one. And I think that's also just highlighted with how things are being seen from a new perspective as well with Einar playing into the story, uh, him kind of serving as the living example of what Thorfinn took away from all the people that he slaughtered in his past and on top of that, we see that Canute is almost turning into the new form of Thorfinn. So all of these things kind of building up in these quiet moments, I think, really makes for an intriguing narrative. Kind of like how Game of Thrones, you know, it had its its epic battles and such, but there were some episodes where it was just strictly talk strictly hey. strictly talking and characters kind of building up the world around them. That's what I feel we're getting in season two, is just these these rich moments of character development that I think now it's becoming evident they're, they're going to come to a head with the things that Canute has planned. Yeah, and I don't, I don't blame 
the part of the fandom that is disappointed by season two because they love the insanity of season one and this is nothing like that. But I I I challenge them to give this second season a fair shot because the second season is by no means throwing away what happened in season one or disregarding it. It is truly building on top of that. We are seeing the aftermath, like you said, of, of what Thorfinn did and was surrounded by and who he chose to be in season one because I, I don't know it's, it's such a realistic take right like mm -hmm. this was his life in season one his his whole being was to get revenge on Askeladd that didn't even come to fruition so now the guy is fucked up right like he was already fucked up just being so hellbent on revenge and then it, he didn't even get it in the end mm -hmm. I mean no wonder the guy is waking up with like night terrors and stuff like plus all the people he killed that he probably would not have killed had he had a normal childhood if Askeladd didn't kill Thors in season one. So I, I think that it is doing such a great job of adding so much to what we experienced in season one that I don't, I personally don't feel like this is a step back or a change in direction at all. I think the one thing that was quite a surprise, maybe not a surprise, um, maybe more expected is, is the shift in studio from which studio to MAPPA. I was like, uh-oh, Attack on Titan all over again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Although... When I first saw the introduction, because in the Witch Studio adaptation, before they start the the show, there's that intro of the bikers on the on the motorcycles, and then the the rock music comes in, and you see Witch Studio's logo flash across the screen. I thought that Mappa took that same motorcycle opening, kind of like plagiarizing it, but then I realized I was reading up uh, that even though it's under a new studio. MAPPA still retained the same production staff from the Witch Studio adaptation. So it's the same team that's still working on Vinland Saga. I mean, it's I think that's still pretty evident because the quality of the show in terms of animation, direction, everything is still there. That's awesome to hear because I didn't know what to expect with the change of hands, but it seems like MAPPA at least what we've experienced with Attack on Titan, MAPPA tries to be very respectful about mm -hmm. what was done before they took on an anime because I feel like in Attack on Titan, no spoilers or anything, um, anytime there's a reference to something that happened in the Wit Studio days, MAPPA does a great job of like almost honoring what Wit Studio had done. Um, so I get the same sense here. I am very happy though like what, with what MAPPA has been able to produce. The animation is absolutely insane. Granted, there's not a lot of fight scenes, so they probably have more resources to dedicate to uh, clean animation. Um, it's probably less intense than trying to animate Chainsaw Man, for example, mm -hmm. or you know, easier on. I hate to say easier on their animators, but hopefully, it is a more. Um, how do I want to describe it? A more reasonable working like environment for their animators because mm -hmm. there aren't these flashy scenes that they have to constantly worry about. But regardless, what they're doing is is insane. Like some of these close-up shots of Canute or of Thorfinn in the middle of an episode are fucking beautiful to look at. I just love it so much. Like I I am adoring the story and then just seeing how clean and high quality the animation is just takes it to a next level. So I was going to comment more on like the the visual landscapes, especially like the the shots of nature um sometimes like the water effects even the farmlands themselves something... farms have never looked more amazing like it's almost <laughs> like they should be the the backgrounds to our our 
or desktops or something. <laughs> uh, so yeah, everything is still there in terms of how how much quality there is in Vinland Saga. And then, of course, like to add the the musical score onto that, uh, composer Yutaka Yamada, uh, who also did Tokyo Ghoul and Great Pretender. If that name sounds familiar to you, uh, he just highlights it with like, very very serene sounds as well. Nothing that like I know like there are violent moments in Villain Saga in Villain Saga, but for these quiet character moments, like there's nothing that's just thrown in your face. Like you can be reflective in watching these scenes play out as this music is being played. And speaking of music, I guess we can start our discussion with a little pregame with the the OP and the ED. Uh, vastly different, just like the shift in tone in the season, vastly different from their season one counterparts. So starting with the OP, we have the song River by Anonymous Mouse. Anonymous? Anonymous? <laughs> it's anonymous, but spelled with a Z at the end instead of an S. And again, in contrast to season one's sort of like death metal OPs by Survive Said the Prophet or Man with a Mission, River is more of that sort of chill and reflective vibe. As we see in the visuals, the older Thorfinn kind of amongst profiles of other characters, including an older King Canute, um, and then very powerful imagery with mostly focused on the seas and the waters. Um, and then I think one shot is like this sea of arms that turn blood red, which I think is a later reference to Torfin's nightmares. I think that's episode eight. Uh, but yeah, visually and musically, just very different from what we expected in or from what we saw in season one. It's fire. I fucking love it. I love the song. I love the vibe. It matches the the tone of this season so well. And oddly enough, it gives me kind of James Bond vibes between the music and the visuals. Um, I'm, I'm thinking specifically The World Is Not Enough. I think that uh, James Bond opening, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, had some like similar like what do you call it like kaleidoscope looking shit like how everything comes from oh. the center and moves out to the screen but it's doubled <laughs> i don't know what I you guess, call that yeah but you know what i mean right like that part of it um and again just that 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 vibe that river has it's just so good and it's funny because going into this i was thinking all right i'm gonna brace myself for one of those typical mappa openings mappa has fantastic openings but they kind of repeat some of the same patterns like slow-mo shots of characters or splashy action scenes like i think <laughs> jujutsu kaisen chainsaw man attack on titan they all had fucking slow-mo shots all of them did uh here this is totally different i don't know who was responsible for the the visual concepts of the opening but i love that it's completely different than what mappa has given us with a lot of its recent anime so i i'm obsessed with this opening i think it's great yeah i mean a flashy opening wouldn't make sense for this first core just because it's a little bit more muted. Um, just wanted to correct myself. I think it's episode nine of this season where that sea of arms shot comes into play. Uh, Lyrics-wise, I think it has it shares the same sort of themes as the visuals of the the, the waters. Uh, I think it's kind of like describing Thorfinn overwhelmed with guilt and that kind of being symbolized by all of these running waters especially with the lyric water running stronger rougher holding on to anything all i want is to survive it and then th this sort of river 
is maybe some sort of event, some sort of being that he's imploring to take him somewhere else where he can't drown in his own sorrows. Um, kind of highlighted in lines like Mighty, Re- Mighty River, release my soul or O River, take me out into the unknown. Yeah, I got that vibe too. Hey, this is the benefit of the OP being in English, right? I can, right. <laughs> I know the the lyrics as well. Um, instead of having to look them up, so I always kind of took that that same idea when it's saying like, you know, take me out to the unknown. Um, it's almost like Thorfinn is is wanting to be taken away from his past. Like, get get mm-hmm. me away from all the shit that I used to do. I want to move on with my life. I want to be able to move past the traumatic experiences that I've had. Um, and so that's that's what I took away from it. And then we have the ED, also fully in English, which is interesting. Uh, the song is Without Love by LMYK. I think she had done the ED for a show that you had watched. Was it Vanitas? Yeah, the case study of Vanitas. I think the season, uh, the first OP from season one. And she knocks it out of the park with this ED as well. Um, Visuals-wise, it's just all farmland stuff <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, kind of flashback to young Torfin and his escapades and some visions of Askeladd peppered in um so I kind of kind of like getting into Torfin's headspace right now of him trying to move on while still being haunted or maybe even inspired by his his past in terms of haunted it's like what he's like what he's done and then inspired by thinking back to the things that Askeladd had taught him uh, Lyrics-wise, it's very similar in theme to the OP. Uh, again, I think from Torfin's perspective, just learning that life should not be lived with these feelings of hatred or vengeance, but with love and caring, which is evident in lyrics like trying to find the place where, or that's not a lyric, that's my notes, but like I kept holding on to the power and lost my freedom. Um, very indicative of what Torfin had gone through in wanting to seek this vengeance against Askeladd, but losing himself in the process. And then that final line of there is no freedom without love. And that kind of goes back to what Thors was trying to teach Thorfinn all along, is that like the Viking life is not one that will be filled with happiness. It's one filled with loved ones around you. While Canute doesn't really show up in the ED, I also applied these lyrics to Canute's situation because mm. he's saying, because like he's giving up his freedom for power. He's doing a lot of things that are questionable because um, the, the song talks about like having it all and losing it all. Is this some mm. sort of foreshadowing? Like, is Canute going to go too far? Um, and will he have to pay the price for his actions? I assume at some point, maybe he will. Um, but you know, we still have half a season to go. I do love, love, love the song. Um, it's, it's a, I I would say it's a risk for them to go with something this beautiful, something that has such feelings of hope. Um, but it matches what we're getting out of season two, because I, I think that there's a lot of underlying emotion that comes with Thorfinn's character development in this show and it's nice to have a song that evokes that same feeling and the the visuals are a good match again nothing splashy it's just very emotional and then see beautiful scenes of farms so it's it's great (laughs) (laughs) all right strictly fam make sure that your ketil doesn't boil over as we dive into our synopsis and discussion for vinland saga season two the 2023 anime adaptation of a manga series written and illustrated by makoto yukimura 
produced by MAPA and directed by Shuhei Tabuta. The second season follows the story of Englishman-turned-Viking slave Einar as his life becomes intertwined with series protagonist Torfinn, a reformed but despondent young slave who works with Einar on regaining their freedom by farming fertile lands for their new master. In Episode 1, Slave In the year of our Kamisama 1015 AD, a band of Vikings raid a northern England village to anally fuck the quiet and peaceful life of one of its denizens, hence his name, Einaru. Despite his unsuing misery by being sold off as a slave to the township of Farmville, Einaru strives to look at the bright side of life, which won't be so bad given that he's been partnered up with the most positively optimistic slave in all of Farmville, Sorfin Torfin. That is, if it weren't opposite day. All right, I just I need to put this out there. I need to put it out there because I'm going to struggle to say his name every single time. The first note that I wrote for all of Vinland Saga season two reads, I can't unhear anal every time they pronounce <laughs> anar in their Japanese accents. I just hear anal. I'm sorry, I do. I apologize if now other people can't unhear it, but I it just like won't go away in my head. And every time I have to say anar, I find myself hesitating really quick. So I'm like, I don't want to say anal. I got to say Einar. Yeah, it's just one of those Japanese pronunci- pronunciation things. Even though I still say Torfin, I think in this case, I'm going to say Einar as well. <laughs> I think that's how it's I think that's how it's pronounced. It's spelled with an A-R versus like an E-R or an O-R. Yeah. So Einar. So I'll just be very Midwestern Chicago about it. I'd be like, Einar, <laughs> not Einol. <laughs> but either way, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is. Great first episode. Um, I don't, at this point, I didn't know anything about Einar, but I was already very, very invested. It's kind of risky for them to start the season, especially after the long gap between seasons one and season two, um, for them to start with a, a backstory for a character we've never seen before. But I think they did it so well. Um, and it being its own contained origin story allowed us to see him come full circle. So it's like, I, I'm impressed by it because they were able to give us a full backstory on Einar from where he started to him, you know, meeting up with Thorfinn and at the same time, give us great pacing in it. It didn't feel rushed. It didn't feel forced. It was really, really interesting to watch. So props to Mappa and the team for giving us a really nice introduction to this character. Ironically, I looked up the meaning of the name Einar. Um, it's a name of Scandinavian origin, and it's it means one warrior or battle leader, which is the complete opposite of what Einar presents himself to be uh, in this series. So it doesn't mean booty hole or anything? No. <laughs> There's a very noble meaning behind his name. But yeah, as I mentioned in the beginning, seeing this story of Einar is kind of like seeing what happens or like what happens in the aftermath of the things that Torfinn had done in his previous life. And we're going to see that come up as, as a point of conflict between them once Einar learns of Torfinn's violent past. Uh, but as you said, this was a great introduction to a character that we haven't seen before, um, offering a, a different perspective on this world that will soon enough become intertwined with Torfinn's story. So it's, it was kind of nice that we didn't get a, a dragged out like three-episode arc on Einar. And by the end of this episode, we are finally linked back to, to Torfinn, 
uh, seeing him as an older sort of shell of himself. Plus getting the cameo from Leif Erikson as well. Yeah, I, I didn't even think about that. That's a good point that Einar's origin story, his backstory is the exact situation that all of Thorfinn's victims fell into. Now, they weren't only his victims. It was Askeladd's group who would go through and, like, you know, just decimate a very peaceful town and just kill everybody and take what they wanted. So, yeah, it was it was interesting seeing it from the other end. And I, I agree. The shit hurts, man. It hurts knowing how close Leif Erikson is to finding Thorfinn, yet he's just, you know, missing the mark. And, of course, I'll never not think of SpongeBob when I think of Leif Erikson. Hinga dinga dergen. Uh The other thing I like about in our story here is that it's in a way you can see it's similar in how Thorfinn as a child, how his life was ripped away from him with Tortoise's death. Um, obviously, Einar witnesses his his mother and his sister being brutally murdered in front of him and then him being sold off into slavery, much like how you know Thorfinn ended up tagging along with Askeladd just because he had nowhere else to go. But the difference here is that Einar repeats to himself this sort of mantra of like, I have to live instead of, I mean, he could take up vengeance against his aggressors, but thinking back on like his mother and his, his sister and his family life, he knows that that's what makes him whole. And despite the shit that life has thrown at him in this moment, he knows that he has to continue to live the right way instead of drowning himself in sorrow. And that's, I guess, so I hate to say to the benefit of Einar's situation, but he had the opportunity to grow up and to mature and experience mm-hmm. life lessons. Thorfinn never had that. He was a very young child when he, you know, when Thor's was killed and when he joined Askeladd's group. So literally, that's all he knows. He just knows violence and and fighting and battles. Like, it's it's hard for Thorfinn to wrap his head around anything but that because he hasn't experienced it. And we'll talk about many uh, examples of that that pop up throughout this first half of season two where he's like, I don't know what to do. I don't know anything about farming. I don't know anything about fishing. I don't know about anything other than how to wield two blades and jump around like a fucking maniac. Mm-hmm. In episode two, Kittle's Farm, Farmville's head honcho, Kittle Corn promises Einaru and Sorfin Torfin a path to freedom if they can successfully maintain their own plot of farmland on his property. Although the interference of Kettle's raucous retainers makes it feel like they have to reach that goal while playing on hard mode. The pair are also subject to the ramblings of Kettle's dim-witted son Olmar, who dreams of Shinzo-owing his Sasageyo to the Viking battlefield, leaving Sorfin Torfin to have his own dog-having-war-flashbacks meme moment. Thorfinn has used up all of his Sundere energy, and now he just wants to pull a Yoshikage Kira and live a quiet life. <laughs> this say, is, and now he's a Kurore. <laughs> this is so weird. Like, going into episode two, I'm like, what happened? He's clearly broken. This is not the same Thorfinn we had in season one. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like he's he's been castrated, and that's what's so fascinating about Thorfinn in this season. I remember these, the finale to season one, where we just see Thorfinn on this boat. And I was assuming, oh, now he's going to travel the world and have a a better outlook on life. But in a way, that ending was just very vague. It just showed Thorfinn going to a a different area. He's like, now what? (laughs) Now what the fuck do I do? (laughs) So yeah, now that we see what's happened to Thorfinn, it's like, 
what happened to you? <laughs> but that's what <laughs> makes this this first half of season two so interesting is learning about what happened. I have this running thing with season two that I am excited to see if it even happens. I don't know if it'll happen. It's it's kind of up in the air based on how the story is going so far. But what I wrote in my notes back in episode two is that I'm waiting for the moment when Thorfinn snaps and goes ballistic on everyone because he is a seasoned fighter. I'm waiting for that, um, That we, we called it the, the underdog scenario or the underdog moment in our episode where we talked about our guilty pleasures in anime. I'm waiting for that moment to happen with Thorfinn because nobody on this farm knows anything about him. Mm-hmm. No one knows what he's capable of. Um, only we do as the audience and of course he himself. So I'm waiting for the moment where Thorfinn is going to have to show what he is capable of. I think that's the the direction that the second half of the season may end up going. I don't know though, but if it does happen, it's going to be real crazy and, and real satisfying. Yeah. I'll have more to say on that when we reach a certain episode. Uh, but the other thing that I took away from episode two is how much it focused on Kettle's angsty son Omar uh, about how he has these lofty dreams of being on the battlefield even though he can't unsheathe the damn sword and we're going to see more of Omar's ineptitude Uh, but I think that sort of just highlights how unfamiliar Omar is with the battlefield in contrast to the shit that Thorfinn has gone through because he sees it as something glorious and that's kind of what I guess Viking culture is done. They just glorify the battlefield, but he really doesn't know what he's getting into. I think episode three actually shows a little bit of that. So in episode three, Snake, Omar learns from Farmville's bodyguards that in order to be a man, you must not only be swift as a coursing river, but must also have at least one kill on your permanent record. So they forcibly volunteer Einaru as the sacrificial lamb, until Sorfin Torfin volunteers in his place as tribute. One of the bodyguards decides to violently instill some fear into the man that fear fears itself, until the bodyguard's big boss, wink wink, Snake, puts a halt to the Viking vitriol. Ah, there it is. The consequences of his own actions. Thorfinn is experiencing night terrors. And it also means, I guess, the return of his scream. I was wondering, I'm like, when is he going to like scream or say something? He's so subdued. It's weird seeing him in the state. But mm-hmm. I guess we're going to get his screams every time he has a nightmare. Which makes it even more, I think that gives it more of a shock because you know Thorfinn has been muted this whole time in his actions. And then he has these like violent reactions through his night terrors. Uh, And that, you know, it's unfortunate that like he can't remember, but like we know why. Um, So it's, I guess it's kind of sad seeing him go through this torment, um, even though he can't fully recall it himself. It's sad to kind of hear him say in this episode that he doesn't fear death. Like he's over it and it says like not a single good thing has happened to him his whole life. I mean... Yeah, he's kind of had a rough upbringing. The second he and Thor's left um, their homeland, it's it's been terrible for him. And now he's missing part of his ear. So now it just gets worse and worse and worse. Uh, I was very surprised by that. I was surprised that they made a, a permanent adjustment to his character design by actually lobbing off a part of his ear. 
Mm-hmm. But it tells you a lot that that's how empty and like detached he is. He gets a piece of his ear sliced off and he just doesn't care. It doesn't affect him. It's like that's the least of his his worries, I think, at this point. And you have, again, Omar thrown into there who finally sees like what happens when you are thrown into a a battle situation and he clearly isn't ready for it i, I you're not gonna stand up to a guy like torfin <laughs> i i do feel a weird vibe from the blonde chick what's her name Ar- arnhide Ar- arnhide yeah. arnhide or whatever um we learn more about her in the coming episodes but even at this point halfway through the season i, I feel like something bad is going to happen with her to her because of her like there's just some very very tiny foreshadowing that i feel like they're trying to hint at us when it comes to her for me i thought it was like you know with anar building this relationship with arnheide uh even though she is sort of like kettle's um mistress yeah i I call her mistress like kettle's gonna find out about that make some assumptions or maybe you know anar does make his moves uh, on Arnheit and confessing his love or something. And then that's going to be a point of contention with Cadel. And that's just going to throw things into even more disarray along with the things that Canute is planning. Love triangle. Mm-hmm. In episode four, Awakening, despite reprimanding his men for getting blade boners, Snake decides to take a swipe at Sorfin Torfin himself but the ice-cold Icelander shows his hidden ability to dole out a can of whoop-ass himself. He then reveals his vengeful Viking past to a raging Einaru, who nearly chokes Torfin to death in his sleep, a perfect complement to the hellish dreamscape that Torfin experiences on the nightly, until they both agree to just get on with their already miserable lives. Elsewhere, a white-haired figure visits a battlefield graveyard in the pale moonlight because nothing else is creepier than that. We get a glimpse of it. We get a glimpse of what I'm hoping will happen. Thorfinn fought back. Well, I guess he defended himself mm-hmm. against Snake. Snake knows, right? Like Snake is clearly a seasoned fighter and he can sense another warrior. He knows there's something going on with Thorfinn. But Thorfinn is shocked when his body, I guess, like reacts when he feels a presence similar to Askeladd's because that's the presence that Snake is kind of giving off in this situation. But then as they're talking, he like kind of questions or Thorfinn questions, live and do what? Like he snake or somebody's telling him like you need to just move on with your life and he's like well what do I do because again his sole purpose in season one was to avenge his father he didn't get to complete that goal and now he doesn't have any idea what to live for also he's mm-hmm. a slave so like what he what can he live for at this point at least maybe that's kind of the the thought that's going through his head is like I am doing what I am told I'm living in this almost robotic state because I have to take commands from somebody else so he hasn't been pushed until this moment to actually think, like, what do you want to do in life? Yeah, I think Snake says something to Torfin uh, along the lines of, like, this, it's his instinct to live, where Torfin, like, reflexively kicked Snake in self-defense. Thinking oh, back that's right, to, yeah. Thinking back to Askeladd. And maybe, like, Torfin thinking back to Askeladd was a sort of wake-up moment for Torfin and realizing, like, yeah, there is a reason for him to live. Uh, but with him questioning, like, do I want to live and live and do what? I love how this is kind of in contrast to Anar's mantra of I have to live and how Anar in a way is going to help Torfin get to that point. Because um, obviously Torfin's like he's not in a great headspace right now. 
um, having been void of all the, the vengeance in his life? Like, what does he fill that shell with now? Yeah, he bottled up all of his emotions that he could focus on his revenge against Askeladd. But now that that's all gone, like Thorfinn's forced to face his demons of his past. And he's basically experiencing what I assume to be PTSD. Like he's just, he's going through it right now. That that choke that choke out scene at the end of the episode, that was so intense though. Like I, I think that was a very important turning point for their friendship, even if Thorfinn had no fucking idea what just happened. <laughs> That's the crazy part about it. Like he could he could have killed Anar in two seconds. I don't think Anar would realize what he was going up against. Um, but Anar obviously fully aware of what's happening because he's the one doing it. He assumes that Thorfinn is just as guilty as like other soldiers because of what happened to Anar's family and his farm. But he doesn't realize that Thorfinn didn't have much choice as a six-year-old or what, however old he was and didn't have much direction, like adult like direction to tell him, actually, don't go with Askeladd. Maybe like go home. That's probably the better option for you. Mm-hmm. And what, what I think rubs some some salt into the wound, if that's if I'm using that phrase correctly, is when he wakes up, he thanks Anar for waking him up from the middle of being in a night terror. And then Anar kind of is shocked by that and then remembers that Thorfinn wasn't the one who killed his family firsthand. And Thorfinn's going through his own stuff that, you know, maybe Anar can help him with. Yeah, I think Anar helps Thorfinn come to the realization that the both of them are where they are now, even though it's like a, it's not the best situation, but they're able to continue living because someone helped them to stay alive. Um, and I think that's going to stick with Thorfinn as he continues to kind of recall his memories, especially in that pivotal episode nine, where he he has that conversation with the vestige of of Askeladd. Um, a couple other things in this episode that I wanted to call out is there are specific callbacks to season one. Um, once Torfin begins or is in his most recent night terror, there is a shot of these specters of his victims, like enemy soldiers that he's fighting um, in sort of like these infernal designs. Uh, they like They have fiery eyes and mouths. But I think this is actually a shot for shot of a scene that played out in season one, episode seven, according to this tweet that shows the shots in comparison, uh, kind of symbolizing, as this tweet said, what was real became a dream and what was a dream became a nightmare for Torfinn. Uh, So we can share this tweet and the shot by shot comparison in our Discord for anyone who's interested. And if you haven't joined yet, the link to our Discord is in the show notes. Uh, another callback is at one point in the dream, Torfin visualizes uh, a woman that he had tried to warn to escape before their town was pillaged. This was from season one, episode six. Uh, so it's nice to get these callbacks of imagery from previous or the previous season um, to kind of symbolize that, you know, as much as Torfin. I guess consciously doesn't remember these, they are still living in his subconscious to haunt him. I never forget that episode or that scene when he's trying to warn that woman because you can tell like this is not Thorfinn. This is not what he wants. This is not the type of person he wants to be, but he's in this and he has to deal with it. And the fact that he tried to save these people and ultimately failed, I I think was 
so powerful for me. It's like one of the most interesting things that I watched Thorfinn go through, like that that quick scene. And it was nice to see it revisited in this episode. In episode five, Path of Blood, after a History Channel Reader's Digest of the 11th century war between Denmark and England, we are treated to the return of Canute, who was crowned king of Denmark after his father's death by the hands of Askeladd and is now less of a cowardly bitch. We witness the king forcibly negotiate with the Earl of Mercia to surrender his lands with a literal show of Viking power, and in only three years' time, Canute's cunning allows him to ascend to the thrones of both Denmark and England, a.k.a. the sweetest two-for-one deal ever purchased. I also always think about, when it comes to Canute's character in season one, how Askeladd did what he did to force Canute to be a man. Because mm-hmm. Askeladd knew that was the only way that Canute could succeed. And now we're seeing, I guess, the the fruits of, of his labor. <laughs> we're seeing it actually come full circle for him. He's He's done a 180. He's done a 180 just like Thorfinn. He's a totally different person now. Yeah, it's strange how Askeladd was mentor to both Thorfinn and Canute, but in different ways. Um, him employing Thorfinn to seek a life other than one of like a pillaging Viking. And then the other is to make Canute man up for his role as a monarch. Um, but obviously with Canute, that's taken a darker turn, even though this is the path that he was kind of destined to take. It's also interesting to see that Thorkel, Thorkel and Floki are still alive yeah. and well. Floki's Floki Foursquare. Yeah. <laughs> square face. I did forget, though, that Thorkel told Canute um, in season one that he'd watch him and see what kind of man or like ruler he would become. Because mm-hmm. uh, Thorkel's like the type of person who responds well to strength. So I don't know. Like, I, I think Canute's on his way there, but I think his methods are still too soft for Thorkel at this point. Also, he was fucking pissed that he interrupted his his fight or whatever. <laughs> but then Canute, by the end of this episode, again, he's negotiating with this Earl who decides, like, not to surrender to Canute um, and, and side with the King of England. Um, but then, you know, Canute shows his power by having, I think, the Vikings throughout the land light their pyres on fire to, to show his strength. And I, I, kinda, I wrote in my notes, this isn't your mother's Canute. So <laughs> he is taking up this role as a powerful monarch seriously. But I think in a future episode, we're going to see whether or not this is to Canute's benefit. In episode six, We Need a Horse, I think the episode title is self-explanatory, but in Anaru's and Sorfin Torfin's quest for equine employment, they turn to an old geezer who offers a horse in exchange for some handiwork on his farm. In an inevitable misunderstanding with Farmville's ruckus retainers, the pair learns that the old geezer is actually Kettlecorn's cynical father, who becomes even more so after having to put up with Snake's bullshit. But the real thing that matters in this episode is that Einaru and Torfin have become goatee brothers through it all. And there's no horsing around that. 
This had like the structure of a filler episode, but I don't think it was filler by any means. Like on the surface, it's them trying to like optimize the way they develop the land so they can buy that back their freedom as soon as possible and they need a horse, whatever. But the subtext or the, the what's happening beneath the surface is what's going on with Thorfinn, experiencing life and, and, and learning new things that he's never been exposed to because like at one point anar calls him an overgrown baby and is surprised to learn that thorfinn doesn't know anything about farming grew up in a place where they didn't farm um but what anar doesn't realize is a large part of thorfinn is just like inexperienced again he spent his life with Askeladd, so he didn't do anything except for what Askeladd's group did which was fight and i also feel like um this this episode shows that even though Thorfinn has yet to smile in the season or smile at all through his time spent with Einar and their growing friendship, you can tell that Thorfinn's expressions are kind of softening and he's relaxing mm-hmm. little by little, and that just shows how strong like their friendship, their bond is is becoming. Yeah, I noted that there was a lot more comedy from Einar in this episode. Yeah, <laughs> uh, again, I think he's just looking to the bright side of life which is obviously what Thorfinn needs in this moment. And there are several instances of Einard kind of helping break Thorfinn out of his his depressive self. Um, and I wrote a, a note here. Um, this was a quote from Zombieland, or this was one of the rules in the movie Zombieland, enjoy the little things. And I think that's what Thorfinn is starting to realize here, is that you know with them being able to till the field for their for their crops and then getting to use the horse for their plow invention he learns to appreciate like those little victories in life and you know maybe that's not enough to give him that change of heart but again it's those little things that can help turn your life in a more positive direction yeah, we have to remember that Einar is probably Thorfinn's first friend since he left I- Iceland. Is that where he's from? Yes. Yeah, so we saw him playing, I think, with kids or whatever back in like the first few episodes of season one. But since then, yeah, he's had no real uh, positive connection with anybody since all of this craziness began. I also did note that Snake... Snake knows something's up with Thorfinn. He even calls him out on it, I think, at the end of the episode when they're talking about defending the farm. Mm-hmm. He's kind of like, he's like looking at Thorfinn. He's like waiting for Thorfinn to say or do something that confirms his suspicions that he's he knows how to fight. Yeah, I was going to say, there's a lot of foreshadowing in that scene with Zverkel and Snake because uh, Snake says something along the lines of like the farm not being able to defend itself against a force of 50 to 60 men. And I think that's clearly referenced in a later episode or the final episode that we talk about, episode 11, where Canute is planning to take over Kettle's farm uh, for its wealth. And then even Sverkel saying in this episode, buying peace with money is foolishness because that's what Kettle's doing is he's sending uh, portions of his, his harvest to King Harold in exchange for protection. And then Fergal says, increasing your wealth increases your fear of losing it. And and increases the temptation of others to take it. Right, which is exactly what happens with Canute. So I think there are a lot of things established in this episode or in this scene alone that are going to come back to haunt Kittle's farm in the second core. And speaking of Kittle, in episode seven, Iron Fist Kittle, 
As the Goatee Brothers admire their farm work and pray to all deities known and unknown for a bountiful harvest, Kettlecorn's eldest son, Thorgil, takes PTO from his military duties to return home and brag about his father's past life as a battle-hardened badass. Seeing how he handles the punishment of young thieves who stole from his farm, however, we learn that Kettle's demeanor is softer than a Danish pastry, but in a world full of violence and brutality, that sort of outlook will get you toasted. So I, I ship Anar and I, Arnheide. Arnheide. I keep forgetting her name. Einhard. Einhard. <laughs> no, Ar- Arnheide. <laughs> like they're cute as fuck, but I don't know. I still feel like something bad's going to happen. And at the end of the episode, we, we find out that she is his uh, Kettle's mistress or whatever. I'm like, oh, shit's going to get ugly at some point. Mm-hmm. But I, I love the scene from this episode where Einar is showing Thorfinn like the ropes of like how to how, how to, to get break. a bountiful harvest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's already shown him how to farm in general, but like this like last cherry on top thing where you need to pray to the gods and and you know pray for your your harvest to be like strong throughout the winter and stuff pray pray to everyone and everything yeah there you go (laughs) (laughs) i love that like he's so into it and he takes it so seriously that he actually gets thorfinn to do it as well because thorfinn i mean the old thorfinn season one thorfinn would probably have you know scoffed at that and been like fuck no i'm not gonna do that Mm -hmm. but here he he trusts anar he he sees him as a friend and he's slowly coming out of his shell to the point where he's like, okay, I mean, if you want me to do this, I guess I'll do this. He's just, I guess, feeding off of Anar's positivity and him, you know, wanting the best that they can get so that they can get a better outcome and buy themselves out of slavery. I also feel so bad for Kettle because mm-hmm. he's clearly a kind-hearted man who lied about being a legendary hero. That's going to come back to bite him in the ass. I'm waiting for that too. But I... I wonder, you know, if the farm does get attacked, like, how is he going to fare in all of that? He's clearly mm. not going to be able to hold his own. And I think that's where his lies may come to the surface. But really, I feel for the guy because they live in a world where strength is everything, yet all he wants to do is show kindness. And he chooses not to because everyone else won't respect him. Mm-hmm. He'll lose kind of his place as like this master and this like hero or whatever, um, if if he even shows a shred of kindness towards another person, but I think to to like his point, kindness can almost benefit a situation more than strength. I think it's just a, a society where that thought hasn't even crossed anyone's minds. Yeah, I remember thinking back to episode one where Kittle invites Anar to work on his farm, just how kind-hearted he was about it. Again, that's just strange in this world of Vikings where it's kind of like kill or be killed. But, yeah, Kittle is one of the few characters in the show who breaks that mold um, despite him building up this sort of legend around him being Iron Fist Kittle, which I think they say in the Japanese dub Tekken Kittle, which reminds me of Tekken, the the video (laughs) game. Um, But, yeah, it's just unfortunate that no one really sees eye to eye with him, especially his own son, Torgil, who just thinks that violence is the solution to everything. And then that just leads to you know, Kittle opening up to Arnheide about his fears and his worries. But yeah, I guess that kind of makes her a worrying character is that she knows uh, Kittle's weaknesses and can kind of exploit that to her, her own benefit if she wants. I was a little hesitant about Kettle being introduced at first, especially as we learned more about his kind-hearted nature because i'm like well is is the creator just adding a kind-hearted character for the sake of it 
Mm. But no, I think there there's some really good writing happening here um, because there's a lot of challenges and hurdles that are about to come Kettle's way that he is clearly not equipped to handle. And I, I am very excited to see how that all plays out. In episode eight, An Empty Man, Thorfinn Thorfinn opens up to his goatee brother about his former unfulfilled quest for revenge and how it's left him feeling like a shell of a man. But pretty soon, both goatee brothers share the sense of emptiness when their crops are ravaged by the raucous retainers. Although he implores Anaru not to start his own Revenge of the Nords story, Thorfinn gets rocked in the ensuing Brawlhalla with the retainers and finds himself isekai to his own dreamland. And let me tell you, it's nowhere near as pleasant as Kirby's. Thorfinn finally confides in Anar about his past and about Askeladd. I think Anar asks, like, who's Askeladd? You keep screaming it, about, screaming his name in all of your dreams. And Thorfinn says he's like an empty person now because he doesn't have the one thing that fueled him for like 11 years, his revenge and his hatred of, of Askeladd. And then like the old dude overhears it and tells him that he can fill that empty void. Old dude? Zverkel? Yeah, that guy. <laughs> uh, tells him he can like fill that empty void with other things until he finds something that fulfills him and gives him that renewed sense of purpose, uh, at which point I guess he'll be reborn. So this, I think, is really the start of Thorfinn's actual redemption arc. He's been struggling. He sort of plateaued. But now that he's been able to open up to someone he's built some trust with, now he can change things for the better. And I think this episode shows a, a dream sequence where Thorfinn sees a, a vision of a family, a terrified family that turns into a, a young Einar. Um, I think Mappa ended up releasing like a short, I guess you could call it ONA for this on YouTube. Yeah, I think it's like two minutes long. Yeah. Um, so I think this was released before this episode. Um, but... Yeah, if, if anyone's interested, I think it's out on MAPPA's official YouTube channel. We'll share a link to it in the Discord as well so you guys can watch it. It's only two minutes, but worth it because it plays right into episodes eight and nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's it's here it's, they're starting to build up how Torfin's past is going to come back to haunt him, um, especially as he, I think he recalls some parting words or Ascalite's parting words to him which was to become a true warrior, a son of Thor's. And I think Thorfinn kind of misunderstands what Askeladd's parting words were to him in that moment because, you know, what does it mean to be a warrior if he can't defeat his one enemy, which the whole time was Askeladd? And that kind of leads him to feeling empty without having this hatred towards Askeladd and just knows nothing else besides like the battlefield, despite everything that Anar is showing to him. And you know, I like that. There's that one comedic scene of Anar showing his over-exaggerated impression of a warrior, and not believing Torfin embodies any of that. But then the the tables turn in the very next scene as they find out that their their crops have been trampled and most likely by the retainers. Yeah, that moment with Anar is so special because it shows, again, how Anar is having this positive impact on Thorfinn, something that Thorfinn has been lacking in his life since Thor's was killed. Because Anar says, 
you know, to Thorfinn, you were a warrior, but no one would ever guess it because you're because of your current demeanor. So you're already on your way to changing for the better. You may not think that you've done anything to change, but on the outside, you seem completely different than what anyone would ever expect a warrior to be like. And when the crops are ruined and everyone's pissed, we get a little moment, a little moment that hints to the moment, hopefully, that Thorfinn goes apeshit on everybody when he subconsciously ends up throwing the first punch, um, likely to, like, defend his friend who these guys are shitting all over. Yeah. Okay, I just thought it was so surprising that the very scene before Einar was kind of coaching Thorfinn to not resort to that life of violence, or, like, not to think about that life of violence and moving forward from it and then here with seeing his crops destroyed Anar suddenly wants to turn to revenge and now it's Torfin trying to plead him out of it until his his sort of true colors show up and he breaks that guy's jaw yeah <laughs> like straight up breaks it <laughs> but then Torfin eats it back and then is thrust into that dreamscape where now he's finally able to confront the demons that have been haunting him in episode 9 Oath while Einaru stands his ground against the raucous retainers in the real world, Sorfin Torfin endures the horrors and terrors of his fantasy world where the inhabitants are soulless warmongers and the forecast calls for raining blood. A vision of Ascalad shows up as Torfin's Jiminy Cricket, reminding him that he moved on from this Vinland saga and inspiring him to return to his farmland saga. Thus, Sorfin Torfin lays his inner demons to rest and comes back to reality, vowing to live by the creed of Vash the Stampede, love and peace. Fantastic episode. It's Probably all, the best of this season so far. Yeah, it's all done in, in Thorfinn's dream state, but it has so much weight and so much meaning. So he starts off, I think it's kind of what was already hinted in, in the previous episode, dreaming that he killed Einar. And this obviously represents what could have been. Any of the innocent people that Thorfinn killed could have been Einar. Could have been Einar mm -hmm. and his family, which hurts him because Einar is his first real friend in a long time, a good person, and someone who's helping Thorfinn reach his his redemption. But holy shit, his nightmare about almost falling back into being a warrior was crazy. Yeah, like this is this is his hell. Um, I think he, he thought this like was a vision of Valhalla, but it's nothing as glorious as that. <laughs> yeah. And you, you've got Thorfinn experiencing this guilt towards Thors, who taught him that no one has any enemies. And you have that moment where they're both being pulled down by the bodies of their victims or the ghosts of their victims. And if you notice, Thors is standing the entire time, mm -hmm. whereas Thorfinn is giving in to the weight of everyone that he's killed. I think that this, this is trying to represent that both of them have done um, bad things both of them have have sinned in a way by killing innocent people but thor's is facing that head-on or maybe when he was alive he did face that head-on by trying to teach his own family not to fall into his ways versus mm -hmm. thorfinn who is trying to escape it trying to run away from it versus reconciling with it and that sort of um, attempt at, at, at running away causes him to not be able to bear the weight of of all that guilt yeah and obviously we get a cameo from Askeladd here, uh, but I don't know if you noticed, there's a vision of Bjorn as a berserker yeah. that's fighting below in the, the lava <laughs> or whatever it is. Uh, but yeah, it, it's just 
such great it's such a great moment that it's Askeladd who comes to Thorfinn's aid to bring him back to the righteous path. And I love the contrast between how Askeladd is still in his prime human form, having been unscathed and, you know, sitting atop this pillar while everyone below him have turned into like undead soldiers who are to fight forever for eternity because now they believe everyone is your enemy. And so Askeladd is kind of Thorfinn's last hope in helping him to realize what his parting words meant to Thorfinn and him becoming a true warrior. Uh, and I love this quote. I, I wrote it verbatim here. Even if they're hanging off of you, referring to the the souls that Thorfinn has slaughtered in the past, even if they're hanging off you, keep climbing. That's your battle. Take the pe- Take the people you've killed with you, fight your true battle, become a true warrior. Thorfinn. Yeah, I think it, it can't be understated how Thorfinn sees both his father and Askeladd in the same dream sequence, but it's not Thor's who saves him in this moment. It's mm-hmm. Askeladd. Askeladd is the one who saves him. Like That is so meaningful because while Askeladd would never admit it in season one, he probably saw Thorfinn as sort of like a son to him. And I think they hinted throughout season one that Askeladd did feel some level of guilt having taken Thor's away from Thorfinn. And sending Thorfinn basically into this like hellish path. And even in his dreams or in his afterlife, he continues to watch over Thorfinn and want to help him, even if he plays coy about it. Mm-hmm. And you're right, like he tells Thorfinn to climb away and take the people he killed with him, telling him you you can't and shouldn't forget what you did or what you did or who who you did it to, but atone for that. And and that's the meaning of becoming a true warrior, is you're not fighting other people. The battle you're actually fighting is within yourself and overcoming mm-hmm. the things that you've done in your past. I think that's just such a powerful statement, not just for this anime, but for for anyone too that's like just that feels wrecked with guilt and and lives with past regrets. So, I just love how this this show, this episode presents that in such a a powerful way. Um as as we see like Torfin tearfully apologizing to the souls that are climbing up towards him and then with him you know screaming out and climbing through the chasm to get back to reality there was just something so moving about all of it and maybe it was also just highlighted by the music playing in this moment that I couldn't help but feel choked up because again this is such a huge moment for Torfin who's been weighed down by the guilt of what he's done that he's finally able to move on from that and, and find peace with it. And props to Thorfinn's voice actor on a great performance. I mean, his screams, his crying, his pain were so well done, so realistic. Um, it just, it really made me feel what Thorfinn was experiencing, or at least a glimmer of, of what he, or a glimpse of what he was experiencing in that moment. Like, it was just a really good performance. And I, I think that he's got a great range because he can go from a screaming apeshit Thorfinn to... Uh, a depressed, spiraling Thorfinn, and everywhere in between. I think one of the final shots is of Thor's turning and walking away from Thorfinn, um, kind of interspersed with the path that Einar and Thorfinn were taking from their farmland. It's just a great shot because I think here that vision sort of represents like he is pleased with his son's virtuous decision to finally accept what it means to be a true warrior so that 
Thorfinn can continue living on knowing that his decision was right and that hopefully both Askeladd and Thors are looking down upon him or maybe looking up upon him in Askeladd's <laughs> case. Uh, just proud of his of what he's done. And in comes the oath. The oath being that Thorfinn says he'll never be violent to another person again so that he can finally be reborn. But that poses the big question of season two. What happens when the people he cares about are in trouble? What happens when he has to choose between being violent to protect others or to not be violent and let other people be hurt? In episode 10, The Cursed Head, three years pass as Anaru and Sorfin Torfin come ever closer to buying their freedom in Farmville per Kettlecorn's calculations. Until then, Kettle sets out to Jelling to visit the ailing King Harald of Denmark, a journey that also happens to be taken by the king's brother, Canute. The visit is short-lived but fruitful as Harald declares Canute king of Denmark in his dying breath. Although in a strange twist of events, Canute has a private audience with his father's beheaded specter, accusing him of poisoning Harald in Canute's quest to consolidate his power. I guess you could say the king of England and Denmark is turning into quite the Canute case. It's been three years. We get a three-year time skip. Damn. I mean, yeah, I'm sure not much has tell, happened. <laughs> tell by the, the goatees or yeah, whatever. And the length of Thorfinn's hair. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was great seeing Thorfinn completely let his guard down around Anar. And we get, for the first time, I think, probably since episode one of season one, a proper smile from Thorfinn. A mm -hmm. genuine smile. That's, that, is, I think, is a huge turning point or a huge milestone for, for this very angsty kid. And then Kettle shows up and says, you know, you guys are doing a great job. Or I'm going to give you a discount so you can buy back your freedom even sooner by, like, what, the next harvest or something he says like that. But then he, he caveats it by saying, you'll have to wait, though, until I come back from my trip. And I'm like, oh, shit, here we go. <laughs> Foreshadowing. <laughs> Something's going to happen here. Mm -hmm. It's too good to be true. <laughs> but when we switch over back to Canute, it's just it's such a stark contrast seeing these scenes with Thorfinn where he's finally laughing and, you know, enjoying his time with his, his newfound friend um, and feeling this sense of like hopefulness because now he can, you know, buy his freedom faster than he originally thought. And then jumping into Canute where he's gone down this fucking dark path for the sake of leading the people. And really the, the two have swapped since season one. I, I loved their friendship in season one because it was more like a love-hate friendship. You know, you had Canute who was like this very um, inexperienced kid who didn't want to be violent, just wanted to be happy or whatever. And then you had Thorfinn who was like, who the fuck are you? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and now, yeah, the how the turntables. I, I can't <laughs> wait for them to reunite at some point because it's going to be really strange. And I think this season brings back something that appeared in a couple episodes in season one where the transition from Thorfinn's story to Canute's is is represented in a Bible quote. Uh, specifically, it's Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. Um, just to recite that verse really quickly, what do workers gain from their toll? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I think what this might be symbolizing is, like, what do workers gain from their toll? Uh, kind of commenting on what Torfin has done in him 
being able to reconcile with his his past sins and, and moving forward from that um, and how he is sort of like him moving on from that has given him such a, a, a fulfilling experience and him having a fruitful life. But I think with the, the verse, no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end, that's sort of how it transitions to Canute's side where I think it, it's the, it's basically the complete opposite journey of what Torfin has had, where now Canute is the one kind of descending into a, a madness. Canute does seem like he's fucked up at this point because he's watching his brother die, who he ultimately killed. But I think there's more to this whole scene, this whole episode with Canute, because he's reflecting on a very happy memory between him and Harold when they were playing catch or whatever, and talking about how his brother used to be so kind to him. And this shows that Canute hasn't completely forgot who he is or where he came from. It shows that Canute is acting out of necessity as a leader rather than out of malice. Like he's not a terrible person at heart, but he's doing what he has to do given the role that he's been responsible, that like the responsibility that's been placed upon him as king. Yeah, and that makes me think back to, uh, you know, Cato's lament about how he can't, he can't show kindness in this world because this world perceives strength as, as a real form of respect, and I think that's what's happening with Canute here. Uh, I think one of the things that maybe I think it's Swain, King Swain's beheaded self, is telling to Canute, "It's like the the curse of the crown is no one can escape it." Kind of reminds me of, a, of another quote is like heavy is the head that wears the crown because it has this immense burden upon it. But I guess it makes you question like, even though Canute knows that it's necessary for him to have this show of power, is this the only way that he can move forward? Yet another, it's kind of another way that Canute and Thorfinn are having opposite experiences because Thorfinn did not have the opportunity to be his true self as a kid because he was thrust into this horrible world. But now he's having the opportunity to tap into who he really wants to be, figure out what he wants to live for, Mm -hmm. versus Canute, who had a very gentle upbringing and did get to be who he truly was, um, which is a softie, throughout most of his childhood, up until Askeladd forces his hand to be more of a man. And now he's going on this path where it's not really what he wants to do, it's what he's being forced to do given the circumstances. And in the final episode for our discussion, episode 11, Kings and Swords, Canute blows some steam off in a sparring match that shows his unexpected swordsmanship before determining how to fund his get-rich-quick scheme for his English-Danish armies. Until that happens, Cadelcorn arrives in gelling with both his brutish and boorish sons, running into Leif Erikson Day, Hinga Dinga Dargan, and learning that they have mutual Facebook friends through Sorfin Torfin, prompting Leif to journey back with Cadel to Farmville for an Icelandic reunion. Until that happens, Cadelcorn has an audience with the newly minted Danish king Canute, who takes note of Cadel's agricultural wealth and Ulmar's overwhelming stupidity, and determines that the best way for him to get rich quick is to take over Farmville for himself. So get ready for Farmageddon. There's such a stark contrast between Canute's scenes in this episode and like Kettle's family scenes. Tons of comic relief anytime it's like Kettle or his two sons. And then you switch to Canute and it is like dark and heavy 
and serious. Mm-hmm. And I Thorfinn think, 2.0, basically. Yeah, like I think back to season one where there were a ton of comedic moments between Canute and Thorfinn, a lot of it stemming from Canute's side of things. It's just, it's crazy to see how much Canute has changed. And I, I was a little bummed that we weren't able to include episode 12 in our discussion for part one. And I was like, well, you know, there's probably going to be some like crazy cliffhanger in episode 12 that we're missing out on that we won't be able to talk about until our part two review. But hell no, we have a crazy cliffhanger in episode 11. Leif Erikson is one step closer to reuniting (laughs) with Thorfinn, the real Thorfinn, mind you. And apparently we're going to get a Canute versus Thorfinn situation where maybe Thorfinn is forced to fight because Canute's about to do something really bad to his farmland and Leif told Kettle all about Thorfinn's past. Like, I'm so fucking excited. I cannot wait to see what's in store for the rest of the season. Yeah, it's just so great how two stories that seem so opposite and unrelated to each other with Thorfinn being in Farmville and Canute doing his monarch duties could all come together to a head in this moment. And then you're throwing Leif Erikson into the mix or into the mix who just wants to fucking see Thorfinn again. <laughs> like how how dramatic is this going to be or how emotional is this reunion between, I guess, three characters? What is that going to look like? And this sort of plays into the question that you know we posed earlier. Thorfinn makes this oath about not being violent anymore, but he's about to face a situation where everything that he holds dear over the last several years, the, the first bit of peace and calmness that he's had in his life since all the ask glad stuff is about to be threatened what is he going to do then mm-hmm. can he keep his oath knowing that um you know the, knowing that the person on the opposite end is canute an old friend right like love hate relationship aside i think canute and thorfinn had enough of a connection through season one where maybe there's an alternative maybe thorfinn can do something else to keep his oath or does he have to throw that all away in order to protect anar and so the guy Potter or whatever, Potter. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to say these names. <laughs> the other farmhand, yeah. Yeah, and like Kettle and all this, like and all the hard work that they've poured into their farm, it's gonna be a really crazy decision for Thorfinn to make. I, I'm I'm so excited. I hope it goes down that road. It may do like a, a sudden left turn and something else happens, but if we get this situation that they're sort of starting to build up for us, it's gonna be a wild ride. I'm kind of hoping that Thorfinn sticks to his oath. Otherwise, that kind of unfurls what happened with his reconciliation in episode nine and him having those moments with Tors and with Askeladd. But I, I can't really see how this situation is going to play otherwise if it doesn't resort to <laughs> to violence unless there's a, like Thorfinn finds a justified reason for it. But I, I it's hard to say. I, I completely agree. I, I also don't want to see him break this oath because he's on such a great road to redemption. But like I said earlier, I am still kind of holding out hope that he does just like lose it on everybody and remind everybody or show everybody who doesn't know about his past that he is a very skilled warrior that you do not want to fuck with. Well, as you know, he, you place the blame on the other Torfin. <laughs> the yeah. <guy> that <laughs> his <Leif>. doppelganger. That's <laughs> yeah, the bug eyes. It's funny that Leaf decided to name him Thorfinn as well maybe because they look a little bit alike or maybe his name is actually Thorfinn and that's how Leaf got to him 
Because they're like, oh, yeah, I know a Thorfinn. And then he gets to oh. this guy and he's like, well, you, you fit his description, but it's not the real one. <laughs> I don't know. Either way, it's just funny that there's even a second Thorfinn out there. Yeah. Great tinges of comedy in this episode until yeah, that bombshell ending. But, yeah, I can't wait until until the second core comes. Which brings us to our final thoughts for Vinland Saga Season 2, Part 1. So, do you think that this season's story so far has been as bountiful as Einar and Torfinn's wheat harvest. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fucking amazing. I, I've been singing my praises this entire review. I I just love what we're getting from Farmland Saga. Manga readers, you will you were right. I will say it all day long. I am not afraid to admit it. You know, thank you for hyping this up and that hype being real because I'm loving this. I am super excited to see where the rest of the season goes. I'm super excited to talk about it in our part two review. And this is going to be, you know, even though we have a whole new anime season coming up with spring 2023, I can see Villain Saga still being the one show I am most excited to watch every single week. So I don't want to beat a dead horse, no pun intended, with the whole like we need a horse episode. But this is absolutely phenomenal writing, absolutely phenomenal character development. And it, it shows that with the right attention to detail and the right person crafting a story, you can take something as mundane as farming and make it very compelling and interesting to watch. What about you? Yes, I think that this has been a great harvest for Vinland Saga Season 2 so far. As we mentioned in the beginning, it's it's been a drastic and seismic shift from Season 1, but I think it's a shift in all the right ways. Because what started off as a potentially typical story about one man's quest for revenge has turned into this riveting narrative about that same man's quest for redemption. And placing Torfinn's narrative against the backdrop of a simple setting as rural farmlands, I think has allowed this series to take a pause from its gratuitous violence to focus on quiet character moments that are as significant if not even more impactful than the bloody shows of battle that this series is still very adept at displaying. I think the introduction of Einar and the parallel or contrast with the world-weary Canute are also just welcome additions to the story as we get fresh perspectives on how violence has negatively impacted one character's life, but with them learning to, to grow from it, as well as how at, how violence has become ingrained out of necessity in another's and how that might lead to their ruin or quite possibly their, their shift in how to circumvent this need for violence. It seems like these will all come to a violent head, though, in the second half of this farmland saga, but I very much appreciate that Season 2 Part 1 has allowed for this moment of respite to continue giving us this engrossing story about life and worth in a period as brutal as the Age of Vikings. It's almost refreshing to have a story be as brutally honest as Vinland Saga is, especially in season two, because too often do we see an anime protagonist go through some crazy ass shit, probably almost die. They're probably bleeding internally and, and whatever. And suddenly within an episode or two, they're totally fine. They've moved on. Um, physically, they're fine. Mentally, they're fine. Here, Thorfinn is now facing the consequences of years and years of actions that he probably didn't even want to go through in the first place. 
and it's it's not something that he can get over in a day you know mm-hmm. like there's been a time skip here and i'm sure he's still struggling with some of these things trying to fill that void trying to find his purpose in life and i love how honest it is and so i'm excited to see where the rest of his story goes you know why Vinland Saga is so good? It's because it doesn't feel like anime. <laughs> Even though as, as much as we love anime, I think we we need this sort of mix thrown into there where it feels more grounded in realism and drama. And yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why we love Vinland Saga so much. Besides like this this farmland saga that has become so much more than a farmland saga. For anyone out there who thinks that anime is just kid shows and doesn't have great writing, you are so wrong. Mm-hmm. Just watch Vinland Saga. And hopefully you guys are as excited as we are to go through part two of our season two review when the season wraps up. So look forward to that. And thank you, as always, for listening to our podcast. Subscribe to Strictly Anime on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash The Strictly Series and tune into Strictly Jojo, our other podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb.